Well, praise God. How's everyone doing this morning? We are highly flavored, that's for sure. Well, if you um, are with us, we're in part two of, uh, I started last week on the Tombs of Triumph, and the Lord's actually taken me into a place that's uh, been somewhat different uh, for this kind of a season that, I just, I just love this season. I, I love Christmas, but this season, this is it. I mean, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, if this day didn't happen, then it is all fruitless. Everything that we've ever thought about, everything that's... So this day was really, really important. And I established last week that there were two circumstances, actually two tombs, that uh, I hadn't seen this before, but when I watched the, the John's Gospel movie, the clarity of it, and the scriptures then puts together, when you, if you were here last Sunday, when we looked at Lazarus's tomb, if you look at the divine appointment, the actual sequencing of events, what God did, first of all, you know that Jesus told the disciples, we're going to wait, and he knew that Lazarus was going to die, correct? And so he waited for him to die. In fact, then there's that whole exchange, they were going to kill Jesus the last time he was there a few days earlier. And um, he tells the disciples, we're going to go back because, you know, Lazarus is asleep. He said, well, if he's sleeping, we don't have to go back. He goes, no, 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 he's dead. And so when he gets there, look at the timing of that. All the mourners, see, in their culture, they mourn for at least seven days. So they're mourning. you got all of the family and relatives, friends come, and there's a gathering at the house when Jesus arrives. And that whole exchange, when we see the... uh, at that moment, when Jesus calls Lazarus forth, the word goes forth. In fact, it's only 1.7 miles estimated by Scripture from Jerusalem to where Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home was. In fact, it was a leper colony. It's, uh, it had to be outside the city, a certain location. And there was a place of, of the poor. I love it how Jesus loves to show up in those places. And so we see from that, he gathers the mourners. So you got all the eyewitnesses to when he calls forth. And even Martha and Mary were not prepared. They said, if you'd only been here, how many of us have only, if you'd only done it this way, God, right? How many times we've been in that place? And he says, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm the resurrection and the life. And he believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So that tomb set up. Well, then that word goes back into Jerusalem, only 1.7 miles away, that there's been a man who has been raised from the dead. And it is just the perfect timing to the place where the sacrificial time of the lamb, (laughs) it's that place where they're all gathering in Jerusalem as required by law. So you got a full house in the city. You see God set up in timing? So when they hear that Jesus is now in Bethany on his way into Jerusalem, of course, we did this last week, Palm Sunday, wasn't it awesome with all the kids? And, and so in that welcoming of the King of Kings, and I established there in your handout, in that custom, when a, when a king rides on a donkey colt, he comes in peace. When he comes on a horse, he comes for war. And the next time you see Jesus coming back, it'll be Revelation 19. And he's coming back with an army from heaven. And he's not coming back as the little babe of Bethlehem. He's coming back as the lion. And he's going to establish everything that he said. And so we know that that promise is coming. But you see this set up. When the triumph of the tombs, I'll ask you a question. Have you ever been in a tomb place where it just looks like 
everything's lost, it's all dead, it stinks, it just, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he turns it into glory. Well, I want you to see, that set up, if Lazarus's tomb and all of the timing and all the gathering and the closeness and the, the celebration of that particular holiday, because we know that Jesus was the Lamb. He is the one who came in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. And so we know that he was the sacrificial lamb. Well, these two supernatural events of the two tombs validate by eyewitness accounts that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the living God. He is the resurrection and the life. So when you look at this, the eyewitness is not only those who there were many mourners at Lazarus' tomb. And they knew that one of the signs was he would raise the dead. When the Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the dead will be raised, the blind will see, and the good news will be preached. So now the word's out, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? We know John the Baptist had said there were those that were present then, three and a half years prior to that, when Jesus begins his ministry and the Father speaks, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So we see the fulfillment of all this, and now the setup. So when he comes marching into Jerusalem, well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're not going to have any of it. And we saw the movie clip last week of how they're plotting for his death. And so when we look at this timing of the divine Passover, prophesied in Zechariah 9, I've listed that in your handout, Zechariah 9.9 goes on, and he prophesied over 500 years before Christ that there would be a king, your king, would ride in on a donkey colt into Jerusalem. That was fulfilled. But this is the other thing. I I love Zechariah's prophecy of the end times. Zechariah 12.10, he says, his whole nation will look on him, the one they have pierced, the one as if the only begotten of the Son. This prophecy that was given by Zechariah, and then we see the fulfillment of this greatest drama, the most critical war ever waged. I love what he said in that revelation that, yes, there was a war in heaven. Revelation 12 declares there's a war in heaven. And the good news is the devil and his angels were cast out. The bad news, it says they ended up on earth, right? And then there's that last part. We, I think we read this Friday night at the Good Friday service. What an amazing time that was. Anyway, he says in the last verse in chapter 12 of Revelation that now the devil has declared war on all those who keep their testimony and believe in Christ. So if you're sitting here today, you're at war. And guess what? There is no R&R. <laughs> there's no place that he's here and the devil's here. But there's a big mop-up going on. And God is looking for the warriors that are going to stand in that place and are going to declare that he is the victorious one. So if we look at your handout, this is part two of the triumph of the tombs. Look at number nine. The triumphant entry of the cult of peace that Zechariah prophesied. John also accounts. And the next one is the coming back of the Christ to his second coming. I love that Jesus, God has his secret disciples in these places. We're going to find out that Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee, 
And he came to Jesus in John chapter 3, that famous scripture that we know, you know, for God so loved the world. But the work up to that, Nicodemus comes at night because it's really not good for your career path to come see Jesus. It's not a good place, especially when you're a, a religious leader. And so he sneaks there at night and he says, are you the one? Because you can't be doing these things unless you're the one. And then Jesus makes this declaration, unless you're born again, he goes, Huh? You want me to go back into my mother's womb? He goes, no, no, no. Unless you're born of water and spirit, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And uh, so at this point later, several years later, after that encounter, we find Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man's tomb, and then we see Nicodemus come, and they're the ones that actually ask for the body of Jesus. And when you look at the, again, the perfect timing of all this, if you've ever uh, seen the pictures or been in, in, in Israel, right outside Jerusalem, you have the east gate. And they, they have closed the east gate because they don't want Jesus to come back through the gate. Hello. You think that's going to, he can walk through walls. You know, it's like they got it all walled up. And they put a graveyard. If you look at all the tombs, if you get up above on the Mount of Oliveria location, you look down, you see all the tombs that are there. Well, they put him there because they said, well, the Messiah, he doesn't like to go through graveyards. Really? I have a scripture that says he's, he has the keys of hell and death. So anyway, we're going to look at another scripture that's just wild. But we see this place where he then comes and he walks into this place where he's called them to be part of this great and dramatic story. And so I want to focus this morning on actually something that the Lord has just kind of had me focused on that's we often look at the crucifixion, which we should. It's, it's that place where we know he paid the ultimate price. And then we celebrate the resurrection, the empty cross. I like that. But what happened in between? What happened? We've had this debate, right, about the keys and all. I want to go there for a minute. I want to show you some scriptures because I believe it was very critical before, from the time of the crucifixion to the fulfillment of the resurrection, and then, of course, 40 days later, to the ascension. Those are important pieces. So go with me with some scripture here. Write these down. I don't have them in your handout. So I just uh, I want to look at this, and then we'll, we'll unpack the rest. First of all, we see when Jesus hung there and said, it is finished. What happened? Well, we know <laughs> This amazing, let's, let's turn there. Let's turn to Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, and let's pick up in verse 45. I love the turning of pages. It's good news. I hear cell phones coming on now. All right, um, Matthew 27, verse 45. At noon, darkness fell across the entire land, the whole land, until 3 o'clock. Now, that ought to be a clue right there. If you imagine you being the Roman officers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they know that, is it just coincidence it got dark for three hours in the middle of the day? Hello? I mean, that ought to be a clue right there, right? In fact, one of the, one of the Romans who was there said this surely was, right? So it says, at about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma bathsethani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
At that moment, the righteous son, carrying your sin and mine and the sin of the whole world, at that moment, we know that the father, the exchange of that, we know that the royal blood, when when they, they look through the blood of Jesus towards us, they don't see our sin. But when Jesus is carrying the sin of the entire world, he is feeling the abandonment or the separation of what sin does to the Holy One. And at that moment, he's feeling abandoned as he's carrying that weight of everyone for eternity. Verse 47, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out to the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him, a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, no, let's wait and see whether Elijah will come and save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. Now I want you to see a a series of events that happened all of at the same moment. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, if you know your Hebrew history, we had the the ark here. We set that up. That tapestry was three inches thick. It was held by steel rings. Can you imagine from the top to the bottom, and the only way in there by Jewish custom, once a year, remember Zacharias went in and had the angel encounter, told him John the Baptist was going to be... And he was afraid. They would put bells on him, and they had ropes on him because oftentimes whoever was selected, if you had any sin, you died in the holy place. So we know that, that, that the, the rending of that was tremendous. It, it broke on. We sang it, take me in to the holy of holies. Now by the royal blood of Jesus, regardless of what you and I have ever done, this is the place where he allows us access way right into the throne room, right? So that happens which, again, very prophetic. It says, The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and the tombs opened, and the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. King James says it this way, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of saints which slept arose. Is that perplexing to you? They left the cemetery after, after Jesus' resurrection. They went to the holy city and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion, terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened, they said, this man truly was the Son of God. When we stop now and we think about that event, So picture yourself in Jerusalem, Golgotha, the place of the skull, sits right opposite the east gate. In fact, in the stone quarry location there, it looks like a skull. And then right down from that is the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's the tomb that many believe to be that of Joseph of Arimathea. And it fits. Sabbath is coming. You can't be handling a dead body. they got to be in by sundown. So they rush Joseph of Arimathea and... and, uh, Nicodemus, they rush, they get the body, they, they, they seal it, and they get it into, into the tomb, and they close it because now they've got Shabbat. They've got to stop, and you can't be in that place. You can't be around it. So they hurry to make it all. Again, God's timing is, is just impeccable in your time. Sometimes it says, wait patiently for him to act. He's a just-in-time God, but he's got it all worked out, right? But I want you to see now what happens. 
that place from the east gate, looking through the tombs and all the sepulchers up to the place of Golgotha, when Jesus dies, gives up his spirit, which instantly, he's, he, his body's dead, instantly those graves shake, there's a, there's a break, there's a thing breaking apart, and the righteous ones are risen from the dead. Now it says they don't leave until the next, the first day of the week when Jesus is resurrected. So I don't know what they're doing. Are they like sitting there? And, you know, uh, they're a lot, you know, obviously they've been raised, and, but they're not allowed to leave until the fulfillment. Now, here's what I think is going on during this period of time. And I can show you by inference of Scripture. And these you might want to run down, write down. First of all, in Ephesians 4 and 8 to 10, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes this. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to his people. He led the captives free and he gave them gifts. That's a direct quote from when David wrote that in Psalm 68, 18. Paul goes on and continues to write in that verse. Notice that it says he ascended, clearly meaning that Christ also descended to the lowly parts of the world. Let's pick up in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, written years later, verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19. It says, he went, Jesus went, and he preached to the spirits in prison, those who had disobeyed God long ago. So here we have this thing captured where he leads captives free, and he also gives a sermon. Now let's pick up in Revelation 1, 18. Jesus says, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen? And I have the keys of hell and of death, hell and the grave. You tracking? One more scripture. Remember in Luke 16 and 19, 19 through 31, the rich man and Lazarus' story? You remember this one? Okay, so track along here. We know Jesus, this is red letter. This tells you about this idea that, oh, well, you know, God's going to save everybody. No, he's not. Unless you receive and believe that Christ is the Savior, and what you do with that belief will determine where you will spend the rest of eternity. That's the reality of Scripture. This idea, oh, God's so good and love, he's going to save everybody. No, he's not. Not by Scripture. And we also tell from Jesus' own sermon in Luke 16. He says there was a rich man who had everything. He was given all the blessings, and he was not a believer. In fact, there was a, a man named Lazarus. Apparently, it's not the same Lazarus, but it's interesting that that name was used. <laughs> Lazarus was poor, and he was broken, and he was sick, and he sat outside the rich man, and every day, I guess, they would come from his wealthy kitchen, and they would throw the scraps out to the dogs, and that way, Lazarus could get some of the scraps with the dogs. And it says often the dogs would come and lick his wounds because he was sick as well. The rich man had every provision he could have taken care of that man. He didn't. And it says when Lazarus died, he was escorted by the angels to be with Abraham. And it says that the rich man also died and he was escorted. And guess where he was escorted to? If you've ever been in a place where there's unbelievers and you hear the screams of when they die... I'm telling you, it'll, it'll do something to your heart. So here we are. We see this account. He says that Lazarus is with Abraham. 
and he's looking across. There's a gulf. You can't, say, you can't get across this gulf. And the rich man is burning in the torment of his screams in the flames. And he says, would you let Lazarus please come and touch the water and touch my lips? I'm tormented in this place. And Jesus says, Abraham's reaction was, no, you had your chance. And there's a gulf, and you're not given this opportunity. Well, then he says, well, then send someone back to my brothers. I have five brothers. If someone would come back from the dead, they would then listen. He goes, they don't listen to the prophets. They won't listen again. It's finished. When you put these scriptures together, here's what I believe. You can decide for yourself. The moment Jesus dies on the cross, the curtains rip, the graves are wide open, the, the saints are sitting there waiting for the next day or the third day, and when they come, they go and show themselves to their families. Well, I believe Jesus goes down and he grabs a hold of the keys. At that moment, he turns to Satan and he says, give me the keys. I am he that was dead and now I am alive and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Give me the keys. And then he delivers a sermon to those who were not born. They did not follow the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't. He says, but these, these my saintly ones, I now led you. I unlocked this place of Abraham's bosom. Come on. Come on with me. Right? And they're sitting, some are probably sitting in the graveside like, when can we come out, Lord? Right? And, and Kenya says, they showed themselves to many. It's not a few, right? It says in Matthew's gospel, it says they, they came out of the cemetery after the resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Can you imagine what's going on in Jerusalem? This is a wild time. They killed that guy, Jesus, and now they're saying he's raised from the dead. The drama of all this, of what God is doing, I want you to see. What the scripture says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. If you're not saved here today, you're watching from the TV. This is a day that the Lord has made. What a great day. You'll, you'll be able to write this in your journals, in your Bible. This was the day I surrendered. This was the day I found him. And then you've got to change your life and ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and baptize you with the power from on high as he promised he would do. So when we look at this, let's pick up and turn with me then to John, the 19th chapter. John 19, and we'll begin in verse eight, uh, 38. John 19, 38 says, Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave him permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. They, made the, they got ointment, myrrh, and aloes. Following the Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in the long sheets of the linen cloth. They placed of the crucifixion was near the garden, where there was a tomb, a new tomb, newer and used, never used before. And so because of that, the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. 
Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away. She ran and found Simon Peter, the other disciple, and the one whom Jesus loved, as John. They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. I want to unpack this at some point about Mary Magdalene. I started it on one of the nights, and when you look at Mary Magdalene, there's this controversy. We know for sure that she was the woman that was possessed with seven demons. Many believe she was also a prostitute. But all of the accounts show that she is the first one. Her love for relationship with with God, the, the desire, the lordship of him, and she's the first one there. We know that there were other Marys present from some of the accounts, but she goes to the tomb. And so it says, Peter and the other disciple, they started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple, I don't know why John says, he outran Peter. I guess he was faster. <laughs> they were always arguing about who's better, better and even at the Lord's Supper, right? I'm the greatest. They, these guys, they, they had some issues, right? Competition, jealousy, his gift, my gift, you know. <laughs> we don't have any of that. But the, So it says, he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in the and saw the linen wrappings lying there, and he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and she wept, stooped and looked in. She saw a white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus was lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but he, she didn't recognize him. Woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked. And who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him that I may go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni which in Hebrew means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers. Tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them this message. Now, just ponder with this for a minute. Why didn't Jesus appear at that moment to Peter and John. They got to the tomb. Do you ever wonder about that? Why, what, what's all the drama? Why do you appear to Mary Magdalene? Why, do you send to, why didn't the angels at least say, hey, Peter, John, good news? No, they ran there, didn't find anything. It's like, so the, they've got to ponder all the way back. And then it says, he doesn't show up until Sunday evening. Why is that? Come on, go with me on this. If you think about this, 
Mary comes back and says, I've seen the Lord. He appears to the demonized, broken woman who loved him and was seeking out. She was the one, first thing in the morning, gets there. There's something about hunger. There's something about loyalty and devotion to the Lord. That he just says, I'm going to honor her. So she goes back and says, I've seen Yeah, woman, yeah, okay. (laughs) Now, it says that John believed, because John wrote the scriptures. I'm just saying. But he says he believed at that moment. It says in verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. So they're hiding out. They're figuring, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to get arrested too. In the meantime, you know what the Pharisees are doing? They're, not only did they hire Roman soldiers to be present, they also, after the tomb was unlocked, they bribed those soldiers to say something, right? So the Pharisees are still at it, but he waits till Sunday evening. So they've got to be sitting home Sunday morning after early at the tomb and saying, Mary says she saw the Lord. She said there were angels. Well, what do you, and you can hear that conversation going on. What about you? What would you, like, why didn't he show up when we got there, Peter and John? Just a thought, because you got to wrestle with some of this stuff. Where's your belief system? It says, blessed are you, Thomas, now that you have seen, but blessed are those who have never seen and believe, right? So there's this wrestling going on inside them. It says, so let's go on. It says, suddenly, Jesus is standing there. So he walks through the wall. <laughs> Peace be with you. And he shows them his wounds in his hands and his side. They are filled with joy, you think? They saw the Lord again. Peace be with you. And the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. Then he breathes on them. I love this. He breathes on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. That's a fulfillment of Acts chapter 8. Wait in Jerusalem until the Father sends the Spirit. Don't leave until he sends the gift. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit and power. Perfect fulfillment again. He shows them his wounds. They're joyful. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, you'll be forgiven. Of course, Thomas, I don't like this part. I like to think Thomas is the seeker of truth. He's not the doubter. <laughs> but Thomas says, oh, well, I'm, he wasn't there. How come, how come Thomas missed this prayer meeting? Hello? How'd you like to have a Friday night prayer meeting and the burn is going on and it's a night of worship and, and God shows up and you're home? I'm just saying. Anyway, moving right along. And so it says, he says, well, I won't believe it till I see his hands and his fingers. Now, eight days later, you ever wonder about this one? Why eight days You've already shown up to the disciples. They've got the word. The word's going out. Now you've got eyewitnesses. You've got the disciples, but you don't have Thomas. Why does he wait eight days to go visit Thomas? What's Thomas doing? These guys are saying, we were there. Can you imagine that? I bet she doesn't miss another prayer meeting. They're there, and he's like, no, we saw him. I saw the wounds in his hands. I saw his side. He told us peace. And by the way, because he breathed on the other disciples, does that mean he didn't breathe on Thomas yet? Hello, right? That intersection of the timing, it says, when I, when I see his wounds in his hands, I'll believe. Eight days later, the disciples were again together, and this time, Thomas was with them. 
The doors were locked. He likes that. He suddenly is before them, standing there. Peace be with you, he says. He says to Thomas, put your fingers here. Put your hands here. Put the hand in the wound of my side. And don't be faithless any longer. Believe. That's a word for us. Stop being faithless. Believe. I don't know what you're going through, but we've got all those places to put stretch on the challenge between faith and what we see. Blessed are those, Thomas, who believe without seeing me. Then he goes on, he says, the purpose of this book was so that Jesus would do many miracles, signs and additions to the ones that are recorded. And these are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. We did this, I think Lisa and I did a co-study together. Lisa Moore was the eight. Seven or seven for sure, but we did eight because we also added the last. I added, I think, one with the, the, the fishing example here in 21 when he tells Peter, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? You denied me three times. I want you to declare you love me now. And so when you look at the accounts here, back to your outline, it says, the hymn, I heard this hymn. I was in Baltimore a few weeks ago after the voice of the prophets. Man, was that amazing. And um, I went to the Baptist church there with my in-laws, and the hymn that was there was, Listen to the hammer ring on Calvary and rejoice. Now, when you think about the nail-pierced hands, that's not something that you might rejoice of at the moment that that's happening. But when you hear it ring out, when you hear the ring of the hammer, he he just took it for you. So... The resurrection power and the proof of all that conflict that we just read. He's got a wonderful plan. He had a wonderful purpose, and he's got a great result. 